Hi, I'm Tom Marks with the Marks Law Firm and welcome to the Healthy Family Law Attorney. Today, we're gonna to talk about healthy co-parenting in collaborative law. And I have, as my special guest, Teresa Parnell. Before I get started, Teresa, I wanna say that my passion is providing hope and help to families navigating the family law process in a healthy way. So, Teresa, how are you today? I'm doing great, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Uh, you're welcome. We've known each other pr probably coming on 30 years, I or should I not that. say that? No, that's, that's okay. I think that's about right. I think neither of us are quite sure the number, but it's, it's definitely more than 20. I think it is close to 30. Yeah, probably. Long We've been time. doing this a, a long time. Mm -hmm. So tell us about yourself and your private practice. Well, I am a psychologist by training, but I've always worked in one way or another in conjunction with the court system. That was always of interest to me. And through the years, worked with a lot of families who were, you know, had situations that brought their family to court, uh, either a, a divorce or a paternity situation where they were not married but had children together. Worked many times with um, juveniles who were getting in, in trouble. And so worked in the juvenile justice area, worked with some adults who had gotten themselves in criminal trouble as well. And then also with families who were struggling with uh, abuse and neglect sort of situations. And so I had all of that background and over the years have really just focused only on working with families who are in the family law system in some way, because I felt like there was a need there for individuals who are willing to work with attorneys and other folks who work in the family law arena, other professionals. And uh, that's sort of where my, I guess, perhaps similar to your opening, wanting to provide hope and assistance to families so that they can navigate through what is one of the most difficult transitions a person in a family can go through, uh, a divorce or not living together any longer if they're not married. And so I wanted to participate in that, hoping to provide some input that helps them move through that in a healthy manner. Mm. Well, that's good. I know that you've gone through some transition in your practice, as I think we all are. Uh, you and I have had some uh, litigation cases in, in the past, not so distant, but in the distant past, uh, where you acted as a social investigator and there were, you were in the courtroom a fair amount. But you've transitioned your practice into uh, three areas now. And I know we're talking about collaborative, but what are, what are mm -hmm. the three areas that you are focusing on today? Well, I spend my time professionally doing collaborative law cases, mediation, and co-parenting therapy, almost exclusively those three areas. And the transition for me really was thinking through the work that I was providing to families who were litigating their cases. I, I noticed from my perspective, some things that were really troubling to me as a professional, even though I I could I can see the value in the services that are provided, like social investigations or parenting plan evaluations or parenting coordination or just general uh, psychological evaluations for the various court systems that I was mentioning. I it seemed like those services often took a long time, cost an awful lot of money, and still just left the decisions for a family in the hands of somebody else. So a report was written, 
information was provided to the court and still months or sometimes years later, a uh, judge was then in the situation of deciding for this particular family, things both big and small about how the family was going to transition forward. And so I decided I wanted to participate in services that helped families earlier in their, for instance, divorce process, earlier meaning not months or years down the road, but but mm-hmm. shortly thereafter, the decision's actually made. Um, services right then when they really need them, and also services that helped people maintain uh, really ownership of the decisions that need to be made in this transition. And so that's, I started deciding professionally that I needed to dedicate myself to learning more about how to be a good um, provider of services in collaborative law and co-parenting therapy and mediation. And so took a few years to transition from that other style of working but I have made that transition and I'm, it's, it's very satisfying for me professionally. And I think it's really helpful, uh, more helpful to families um, ultimately. Right. And I would have to agree. Collaborative law is so fundamentally different than litigation. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many cases that I've finished where the parties can sit down next to each other at the signing meeting and sign the documents together. A lot of times they drive together and they leave together and they're going to be able to co-parent the children so much better. There's so much less conflict and acrimony. Um, Co-parenting is so much better. So tell me how the co-parenting part of your practice dovetails into the collaborative part of your practice. Well, co-parenting generally, you know, it's this concept that, one of the aspects of being a couple that has a child or children is that we have to figure out how to reconcile our differences in parenting ideas or ideals, our way of approaching things, and to try to help each other be the best parents we can be, um, but also provide input when you know we're concerned that maybe a particular approach to parenting is is not. Um, something that we can support or something that's best for kids. So there's a co-parenting relationship, you know, all along the way before we go through and no longer living together or not being married. And so, but often co-parenting is one of the areas of conflict that is part of the decision to divorce. We just don't agree on how to approach the children or certain things that have been said or done in the parenting of the children. And so sometimes people think, okay, we're, I'm going to leave this relationship and I'll just parent how I wish. That creates some problems for children and doesn't really help that healthy transition that we're talking about today. And so regardless of what method you use to get divorced, there is this co-parenting relationship that needs to be considered that's already existing before this big transition that we need to pay attention to beyond this concept of I'll just parent how I wish to parent once he or she can't tell me how to parent any longer. So it's embedded in all the work that I do, but in, in collaborative, Hmm. we have this opportunity. It's back to what I said earlier of wanting to be involved in services that get help to families earlier in the process. So what happens in collaborative, even though it can be uncomfortable or emotionally difficult at times, parents have an opportunity to begin talking about their co-parenting relationship and their parenting decisions from the time that that separation 
process begins. Mm-hmm. Not months later, after they have been sort of conversations have been separated by by the legal system, but from the very beginning, sort of sitting at the table or now in this Zoom space, working with a mental health advisor, a financial advisor, uh, legal advisors, helping them wrap their head around all of the things that have to transition. And within that, wrapping their head around this concept of what's our co-parenting relationship going to look like going forward. Um, and I definitely believe that children are able to get through this big of a transition in a much healthier manner with a greater sense of well-being when parents have paid attention to their parenting and to their co-parenting relationship. And that's supported as well by some of the data that we have. Yeah. And I really like that word healthy, obviously, it's part of what we're about here. So in the collaborative process, one thing I really, really like is the way we start out with um, setting goals and and the, the two parties, uh, partners or husband and wife, um, actually put up on the whiteboard, whether we write it on the whiteboard or oversized post-it note or whatever, what are their goals? And, I, and what's really affirming to me um, in the majority of my collaborative cases is they'll write, well, I want to do what's best for the kids, or I want to make sure the children are protected from the litigation, or I want to set up a college fund for the kids, or maybe I want to stay in the, in the house until at least the youngest child is um, out of the house or in high school or something. Mm-hmm. So then they realize both partners have put the same goals often on that whiteboard or that post-it note. And it's such a better place to start than, say, certainly litigation, but even in mediation where you have this position-based bargaining. Mm-hmm. I know you do mediation also. Do. Um, so obviously that's what we call an ADR or an alternative dispute resolution, something different than litigation, which is healthier also. So talk to us a little bit about what you do in mediation and then maybe a little bit about how that differs from collaborative law. So there are definitely benefits to mediation similar to collaborative in um, uh, what you've just described, for instance, in terms of it being another way to go about resolving the differences that are there that allow parents to, uh, or folks who don't have children as well, to, to retain some decision-making in their, in their overall divorce process and to have conversations around some decisions that need to be made. So that benefit is there. But the differences in how mediation is usually conducted and how collaborative is usually conducted are pretty significant. For instance, often in, you pointed out in collaborative, there's an opportunity from the beginning to start to talk about what's important to this particular couple um, or if they have children, this particular set of parents. And if they have children, then wrapped in there is going to be the importance of preserving their children's well-being and doing what's best for them and taking care of their needs. That doesn't happen usually in the same way in, in mediation. And one of the reasons is mediation is, is sort of set down into 
our litigation model usually. So what happens is folks get lawyers and lawyers do all the things that they're required to do to get ready for mediation, which is super important. And, and sometimes though, months pass before they ever get to the first mediation date. And I think about that and I think about what opportunities have been lost mm. in the three to six months compared to collaborative where we're sitting down right away and talking about what's important to you. And okay, if, if you want to preserve these things for your children, how are we going to do that? And by the time we get to mediation often, not only is there pain from the relationship that didn't proceed forward, but sometimes there's pain from those three to six to nine months before we get to mediation because of all the documents that have been asked for, because of the interrogatory questions, because of the um, letters that go back and forth with certain demands that are made, because of the documents that were filed, mm-hmm. where people ask for everything and it, you know the other person then is hurt and offended by the, the documents. And, and so by the time we get to mediation, we've often built more wounds And so mediation doesn't have always the same opportunity to focus uh, people on how to move forward in a productive way. And parents in particular, it doesn't doesn't really give them the opportunity to develop that co-parenting relationship. We're in collaborative. Not only are we identifying those goals and we're talking about the concept of Uh, going forward in the future, including a co-parenting relationship when there's children, whether they're minor children or not. But we also have clients meeting with a mental health professional, working on the specific communication aspects and the parenting plan aspects that are related to how they're going to parent in the future. Lawyers are supporting those conversations. They're working with their individual clients, sort of all towards the the same goals that these clients have identified. And even the financial, when you talk about the house or setting up a college fund, the financials also sort of, we're all sort of swimming in the same direction, not, you know, sort of swimming in different directions and coming together briefly for mediation and then, you know, swimming away again. We're all sort of swimming in the same direction toward trying to accomplish the things that the family wants to accomplish. So there's certainly value in both, but I I do believe that collaborative gives families uh, many more opportunities to have a different type of outcome, including around the co-parenting. Right. And of course, as um, a lawyer practitioner for 35 years, I've done hundreds and hundreds of mediations and there's really no specific training that lawyers get for mediation other than outside, you know, than the litigation process as mm-hmm. you were elaborating on there. Whereas with collaborative, there's specific training that we get. I know you're accredited and uh, collaborative. You've done, um, I don't even know how many cases. Do you even know how many cases you've done? I, I actually do keep a spreadsheet. And so I'm okay. you know, over a, over a hundred at this point. And the okay. reason I keep a spreadsheet is that people often want to know, and I know that's not the topic of today, but you know, how, how many meetings does it take? How long does it take? Sure. What does it really cost? What are the, what are the types of things that cause a, a family situation to go longer or cost more money? So I keep that data because I think it's really helpful when I'm talking to clients and they're trying to decide process options. So that's, that's good, why I keep that information. Yeah, so. and that's a good point. And I get those questions a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, 
unfortunately, not every case is a good candidate for collaborative. You, you may agree or not agree. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I have a client comes in and there's, there's been a, emotional abuse or hiding of assets or something that we know we're going to need to do, um, unfortunately, some um, use some of the litigation tools to mm-hmm. uncover hidden assets or something of that nature. Um, not to say we, it couldn't be done in um, collaborative, but, you know, there's got to be transparency and collaborative. The parties have to agree that they're going to put their cards on the table. They're going to come, they're going to meet, they're not going to hide um, assets and so forth. Um, one thing that I do in every case, even if it's not a collaborative case with a formal collaborative participation agreement is I try to reach out to the other attorney in a very collaborative way. I call it collaborative with a small C because it's not a formal collaborative process. But oftentimes if you do that at the beginning and say, hey, can we try to avoid some of maybe the pitfalls? Let's, let's talk mm-hmm. about what would be a good uh, temporary time-sharing schedule for the kids or what are some things that we can work out together in a collaborative way or maybe even set a four-way meeting with the two attorneys and the two clients And sometimes those cases, they start to see some of the benefit of working together collaboratively. And they say, wow, why don't we, why don't we make this a full collaborative case with the collaborative participation agreement? And then we have the neutrals, right? So you're the mental health neutral in a collaborative case. We'll have a financial neutral. There can be allied neutrals, but each side would have hopefully a trained collaborative attorney, um, and work together. So that that's just one area, one way I try to keep it more collaborative, uh, even if it's not a formal collaborative case. And, you know, you said uh, some really important pieces at the beginning there that set the stage for all of that. And that really is, hey, I pick up the phone, I make communicate, I, I create communication with the other lawyer. And I say, hey, there, maybe there's some issues that we could start to identify that we could reach some small agreements on now to help these folks, you know, sort of settle things down and, and get moving. And so what you're talking about is communication and relationship. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that also helps determine whether this is, this situation is a good candidate for collaborative, the, the clients as well as the lawyers. And so if you pick up the phone and the other lawyer is receptive to, yeah, let's see what we can help these folks with in the interim. And maybe we can get together, the four of us, and have some communication. And and if you say to the other lawyer, you know, my client's really concerned that he or she's hiding assets. And the other lawyer says, well, we, we want to take care of that concern. Of course, my client's going to have to you know, provide the information, then you're starting to determine is, is this, does this have the potential to be um, either something very cooperative or truly a a full on collaborative case, even if folks at the beginning are scared or suspicious or angry um, or have a history that might cause us to be concerned as we help them make the transition, can, can these two lawyers help these two clients find a place where they can get all the information that they need and be able to look at some options to make decisions. And it goes back to communication and relationships. Absolutely. Absolutely. So as the mental health professional or neutral in the collaborative setting, you're kind of the facilitator of the meeting. So you've got to take lead 
Um, it's so important how that first meeting starts out. Um, and so tell our audience kind of what we do to prepare for that. You know, obviously the collaborative team attorneys and neutrals have pre-meetings before that first meeting with the clients, but can you give us a little synopsis so people can know what it, what does it look like? Well, one of the important pieces beyond communication and relationship is preparation. And so it's it's sort of this is not my term, but the, some some folks in the collaborative community have used this term, sort of setting the table. Mm-hmm. So and it's perfect for you know. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving. Our, exactly, our Thanksgiving <laughs> conversation. Right. You know, you 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 don't just come up with a fantastic Thanksgiving dinner and and toss it on the table. There's a tremendous amount of prep that has to occur, and so in collaborative. We are making sure that the clients really understand the ins and outs of the process. We're making sure, as you referred to, that we have individuals on the team who have actually been specifically trained in the collaborative process and what's required to be a good collaborative team member. We're looking at this particular family as a unique family that we then set down in, again, using my table example, right? So, right. you know, as it were, the, the way tables are set are probably quite similar household to household um, it, in the overall structure, but the uniqueness of how everybody goes about preparing and serving a meal and setting their table really is unique family to family. And so it's that mixture of, we have sort of a structure and a system to the what's often called the collaborative roadmap it's a very simple structure and system. As long as you follow it, it works really, really well. And then we set down into that, that system, that preparation, the well-trained professionals, we set down in that the uniqueness of a particular family and make adjustments as needed to meet their particular needs. So collaborative requires a tremendous amount of communication. You're absolutely right. That first meeting, how we set up, the whole process from the beginning is is really important. Um, and then to continue to make sure that we follow the procedures that um, we know work while also keeping in mind who these people are and what their particular needs are as a family. So it's a lot I, of preparation, a lot of details. Yeah, and each family is unique and has um, unique uh, needs and uh, goals and desires. and. Uh, that's one of the beauties of collaborative too, that we can really explore that, uh, give the uh, the clients a voice because oftentimes in the litigation model, people don't realize how difficult, how formal, how rules um, setting with the evidentiary rules and the procedural rules in the courtroom. People say, well, I want to have my day in court. And then they get in there and, well, you can't say that because that's hearsay. And you can't say that because it's excludable as evidence. And and then they feel like, wow, I didn't get my day in court. Mm-hmm. Well, in collaborative, you, uh, that's one of the beauties is that the clients really get to speak into what they really want to see accomplished. And it's all in a transparent and a high trust um, environment. So that's really cool. I know there's a lot of questions uh, people may have regarding, you mentioned like the cost. And I know we're starting to run short on time, but Mm -hmm. if uh, I would just say, if anyone has any comments or questions, put them down below in the, 
in the uh, that section. If anybody would love to see Dr. Parnell again on a, another video and answer some more uh, in-depth questions or more specific questions you might have, put those in the comment section below. Um, if you found value with this uh, interview, this video, um, hit the like button. If you'd like to watch uh, future videos, just uh, hit the subscribe button. We will post a new video right now. Every Wednesday at noon, we're posting. Before we leave, um, Teresa, um, I always like to ask a healthy tip because um, this, you know, I'm kind of the healthy family law attorney and this is our our purpose here to provide this hope and help. So do you have any healthy tips that you'd like to leave with our audience today? So I think what I would say that is going to sound very simple, but it's also really difficult this time of year in particular, uh, but it becomes even more important in any time of stress and it's a back, back to basics approach. So before any of our other sort of techniques are going to work to manage going through a difficult time, we have to look at, you know, what's our sleep? What's going on with our sleep right now? And how do we uh, practice good sleep habits while we wait maybe for our sleep to get back into a good cycle? What are we doing from a nutrition perspective? Um, other than Thanksgiving Day, we'll take a pass then. But um, what are we doing with our nutrition? How are we taking care of our body? And then um, what's going on with our physical movement slash exercise. Um, for some people when they hear exercise, they're opposed to it. So thinking of it more in terms of physical movement. And so I would say back to basics first, pay attention to nutrition, sleep and exercise. And then once you get those aligned, then sort of see where you sit uh, going through this, this you know, difficult transition and decide what you might need to layer into that that's going to help you from there. Uh, those are important words, especially this time of year and, um, of course, with what we're all going through with the pandemic. So thank you so much, Teresa. I appreciate it. Thank you for being on the uh, channel today. Thank you. I I'm, was glad to be here. And everyone stay safe and healthy, and we will see you next time. Thanks so much, and see you then. Bye-bye.